Good morning. There you go. A little bit better. Good morning. This is going to be an exciting service. Um, I appreciate your testimony, Danny. I've been down there. I've got to preach down there. It's a great place to go. The best part of their week is going to church. I have seen people. I don't know how old this gentleman was, but I, if you ask me, he was in his 90s. He's walking a long ways to church. These people are all over the roads heading to church in Sombrano. Uh, um, what's the one? San Francisco? Not the San Francisco we, we know, but another one. And they love going to church. It's the best part of their week. So thank you, Danny. And tell your dad that we said hello. I got to play on the soccer team when we were over there. And uh, you may say, soccer? I didn't want to do any running. So they said, you'd make a great goalie. And the reason is I was so big, I could block most of it without moving. But I'm going to tell you right now, when they kicked the ball at you, I came home with bruises all over me. I mean, it hurt. And, uh, but we had such a good time and we got to preach there and we got to, um, y'all probably saw that cistern there where they put, uh, put water in it and all. Oh my goodness. I can't, I won't even begin to tell you how we moved them, but we got to move. So thank you for being here, Danny. I got up this morning and to do, do the same two things. I always do a look at my phone and Jeff sent me a, a note, said he's praying for me this morning. And I sent him one back and said, is it today? <laughs> Just kidding. And then I quickly asked my wife, I said, or, or have you got my sermon ready for me? And she said, it's ready. So uh, not really. Uh, but we're going to talk today. If you, if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 11. We're going to talk today about Lazarus. Uh, let me say this. If you have not seen this video, you've got to go look at Catherine's, Catherine Dodson's video. And it's called Grow Your Faith with Catherine. You've got to see that video. And, and, and it comes on, and then she has a chalkboard that says, Today, we're going to talk about love. She's got her Bible there. She takes you through scriptures, and then in the end, she goes, How will you show the love of Jesus today? And it's, it's just a, 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 it's cute, but it is so amazing. And, and what's going on? And it's all because of Jim Lee. He's the only one in here. They're out, so I'm going to give him the credit. But Chris, uh, Chris and Jacqueline and Jim and I'm sure Janet, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. They should go, and they will not depart from it. Train up, and that, that reference means your earnest desire for that child. And so we need to spend, in today's world, we need to spend a lot of time training up our, our kids because there's a lot of people out there trying to train them in the wrong, in the wrong, uh, wrong things. So uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get started here. Father, we thank you for this day. Thank you for Danny being here, Lord, and giving his testimony. I pray, uh, thank you for the ministry down there. I pray you'd be with our pastor while he's away. And be with each person this morning as we bring your message. Help us to say only what you want said. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, title of the message today, you might find it odd. I remember my grandmother, I believe my grandmother, my favorite grandmother, would tell my mom, Shirley, that boy you raised, Barry Jr., he's a stinker. And it means mischievous, doing stuff I shouldn't do. And I always remember that. And then I saw this verse uh, in John chapter 11, verse 39. King James Version says, Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he has been dead four days. So the title of the message today is, When Jesus Raises a Stinker, or Lazarus is dead, for a little emphasis, real dead. And there's an important reason that we say that. So our text will be in John chapter 11, um, 
And we're going to look at the resurrection of Lazarus as found in the Gospel of John chapter 11. Jesus brings his close friend Lazarus back to life after being in a tomb for four days. Uh, Our time this morning is brief and will only permit a bird's eye view of this chapter. There are so many applications in John chapter 11 that you can make. I was up this morning changing it a little bit. And I kept seeing application, application. And so we could do a sermon series on this for four or five weeks uh, if we needed to. The the raising of Lazarus was one of the last public miracles Jesus performed. If we jump forward in our text to verses 47 and 48, we read, So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, What are we to do? Meaning, what are we going to do with Jesus? What are we doing? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe him. Everyone will believe him. After the resurrection of Lazarus, there were those that believed, and then there was those that were little tattletales. They ran back to the the Jewish leaders, and they said, you're not going to believe what he did. He raised Lazarus from the dead. But they didn't go back as believers. They went back as skeptics, and they went back to tell on what Jesus did. The Jewish religious leaders are in a panic mode. Jesus is a dilemma for the Sanhedrin, and they must find a way to stop Jesus once and for all. They think they're taking control of the situation, but these leaders are working on God's timetable, not theirs. And that's a question we all have to ask each other. Just like they said, what are we going to do with Jesus? Every person in this room, every person on this planet that's ever lived on this planet or ever will live on this planet, they have to answer that question. What will I do with Jesus? And so it's very important and a very important question. How you respond to Jesus is the difference between an eternity in heaven or an eternity eternity separated from God in hell. To set the scene, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, live in Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem. We've been there. We've been to Israel a couple times. Brian just come back. We've been to Bethany. Really puts, uh, it, it puts something in your Bible reading to know that you've been there. Oh, by the way, I'll tell you, the one thing about the first service is I know there's a second service, so I'm not embellishing at all. Y'all are in the embellishing service. Which means it might go long. No, it won't. My wife will be back there waving uh, if I get too long. So to set the scene, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, they live in Bethany, two miles from Jerusalem. Travel, travelers heading into Jerusalem from Jericho will go through Bethany. Now the home of Lazarus was a familiar place for Jesus and his disciples. It was a place they would stop to rest. And there was a very close friendship between Jesus and Lazarus and Jesus and his two sisters. A very close friendship. Jesus loved them with a phileo love. He loved them as a friend. Jesus loved them greatly with the love of a friend as we see in verse 5. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. We see in the uh, latter verses of chapter 10, if we back up a little bit, that Jesus and his disciples had departed Judea due to the possibility of arrest. Jesus is doing all these miracles and these wonders. The the Jewish um, 
religious leaders are getting angry about that because it, it, it puts their power at risk. It takes their belief they've been teaching. Jesus is showing that that's not necessarily the way it is. So he left under the, uh, the, the possibility of rest. And they were in Bethany beyond Jordan, a different Bethany, which is the area where John the Baptist announced the coming Messiah and his signs and his wonders and everything he would do and where John the Baptist was baptizing. And now Jesus is in that area actually doing it. And the people are able to see that what John the Baptist has foretold is coming true with the Messiah, Jesus. While there, a messenger arrives to give Jesus some news. Look at verse 1 in in, uh, John chapter 11. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus. uh, Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the oil, anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the son of God may be glorified through it. Jesus tells his disciples that this illness is not unto death, even though even though Lazarus has died while the messenger is on his way to give Jesus the news. The point is, Jesus knows he's going to resurrect Lazarus. The point isn't his death. The point is, the purpose is behind the illness of Lazarus is that God may be glorified. Some of us are going through some things today. And as we go through that, we have a choice to trust the Lord and, glor- and, and allow him to be glorified through what we're going through. And that's difficult sometimes. In, in verse 6, it says, Jesus waited two days before going back to Bethany. Two days. This is your, this is your close friend. This is a friend you love. You love his sisters. Why, did you, why, did, why is he waiting two days? That's the question that we'll answer as well. Why the wait? So it's important at this point to understand the Jewish customs surrounding death. It may give us some insight on why Jesus waited. So we need to understand the Jewish customs surrounding death and the way the body is treated. That is, the body is not embalmed. They don't do that today either. But they wrap it with linens and spices. The body is placed in a tomb quickly after death. Jewish teaching was that the spirit hovered around the body for a few days after death, and then it departed. That that's, was the Jewish sort of custom. Dodd said the following pertaining to Jewish burials. Jesus deliberately waited to bring Lazarus back from the dead until he had been in the tomb four days. Lightfoot quotes a remarkable tradition of Ben Kafra, who was a rabbi. Grief reaches its height on the third day. For three days, the spirit hovers around the tomb. If perchance it may return to the body. But when it sees the fashion of the countenance change, decomposition maybe, it retires and abandons the body. Now that's the Jewish tradition when it comes to the body. But we know from scripture, Jesus performed at least three resurrections during his ministry. He raised the 12-year-old daughter of Jairus. And the son of the widow at Nain. 
and then he raises Lazarus. The, the first two resurrections are different from Lazarus in that Jesus accounted these shortly after their death. As a matter of fact, we know that Jesus resurrected the widow of Nain's son during the funeral procession. Jesus is traveling. Since he knows everything, he knows where he's going. He's heading to, to the city of Nain, village of Nain. He's got his disciples with him and a big crowd's following he walks right up on the funeral possession. And there's a widow. And the only person she had left was her son. And he's dead. And Jesus has compassion on her. And he says, weep not. And he goes up to the box they're carrying them in. And he puts his hand on it, which is a defilement for the Jews. And he says, young man, rise up. And he, and he sits up and starts talking. Now, if I'm one of the guys carrying that box, one part of that box is going to start falling because I'm out of there. I sometimes go to funerals, and, and it's almost like I'm sitting there looking at someone. My, when I, my dad passed away, my mom, I'm thinking, they can't speak, but you expect them to. But the spirit's gone. That's just the shell. But I also wonder, wonder what that guy said when, when he stood up, sat up and talked. Did he look around and go, not today? Or did he say, thank you, Jesus, which is probably what he said. And I know his mother was beside herself. The only person she had in life was her son, and he's back. But not so on Lazarus' resurrection. He had been dead long enough for his body to start decomposing. Perhaps Jesus waited before returning to Judea to dispel any doubt about the resurrection. Based on the Jewish teaching about death and the spirit lingering around the body, you can see that. Certainly, if they believed their teaching, when the spirit detected the decomposition, it was gone. And that would eliminate any doubt that Jesus raised Lazarus from the, the dead. But we know from 2 Corinthians that the soul separates from the body immediately after death. Absent from the body, present with the Lord. Once that spirit departs, once your soul departs your body, it's not coming back. Not that body. The three resurrections by Jesus demonstrated his compassion for the families and for the people who witness them. But the intent of these resurrections is that God is glorified. Jesus is authenticated as God's messenger. And he is the son of God. He is a deity. That's the whole idea behind the resurrection. Now it's good. He had compassion and, and he's back. But this is all about glorification of God and his son, Jesus Christ. Despite the disciples' concern, Jesus traveled back and arrived outside of Bethany where Martha comes out to meet him. In the early verses of, of this chapter, Jesus is given the message and he says, we got to go back to Bethany. And his disciples said, we, are you kidding? Paraphrased. We can't go back. They tried to stone you. You're going back there, you'll die. And Jesus said, we're going back. He even says, they even press the matter a little bit and, and says, Jesus, we can't go back. And Jesus says, our friend Lazarus sleeps. And they go, well, let him sleep it off. 
That's what you do when you're sick. And then Jesus plainly tells them, Lazarus is dead. Lazarus is dead. In verses 28 through 37, we see that Martha goes and tells Mary that Jesus is back in town. Mary quietly departs her home to go see Jesus and is followed by a large uh, uh, crowd of mourners who thought she was going to the grave. This crowd of mourners was nothing as usual as they normally stayed with the family for days, usually seven, maybe 30. Mourners were friends and families. They even had professional people, Jewish people, that would come in and help lead the mourning. This was a big crowd. When Jesus sees Mary and the mourners, he is deeply moved. Verse 32 says, Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then the little verse Jesus wept. That is, Jesus is so filled with emotion and love for this family when he hears that, he uncontrollably has tears running down his face, but he's not uncontrolled where he's wailing or or, or things of that nature. He's just sitting there with tears just flooding and pouring out of out of his out of his eyes. Jesus is moved in his spirit with the outpouring of love of the crowd, by the crowd, but is greatly troubled when he looks at the crowd and sees what sin has done to humanity. It has caused death and separation from God for those that never trust him. Jesus is looking at these people wailing and they're sad because Lazarus is gone. He's gone because of sin. He's dead because of sin. He's gonna, he would be separated from God. Because of sin, if he didn't trust in Jesus. But we know he did. But Jesus sees that because he's omniscient. Probably all the sins of the world just rushed by him. Because he's going to the cross to pay for all these sins. He's deeply troubled. I thought about that and then I thought about what goes on today in our world. For the last three, four years. It's really despicable. You think about what's happening with kids. When my kids grew up. You wouldn't talk to my kids about the stuff they're talking about kids today unless you came to the parent and they signed off on it. And let me tell you, we never signed off on it. We said, put them in that room over there. You ain't talking. These are kids with minds that are being formulated. And you got that kind of stuff going on today. Even saying, now you can't go home and tell your parents, not to my kids, you don't. So I would tell you, if you have kids, you better watch them closely. And tra- I, didn't, I didn't know a lot about transgenderism, but I hear it. So I said, well, let me check. I might have missed something. I went back to Genesis, and it said God created male and female. And he gave Adam, Eve, and they got married. They became one flesh. And then they had kids. Eve had the kids. So what's going on today in our world is anti-Bible. It's sin, and it ought to really, really cause us to be disrupted in our soul. I didn't mean to get off on all that. The good thing is I'm turning two pages now. 
So moving on, it's time to get Lazarus out of the tomb. Y'all ready to resurrect Lazarus? So look at verses 38 through 44, and let's read those. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone laid against it. They had little shelves in there. That's where they put bodies. The stone was to keep the animals out and keep the stink in. Remember, there's no, no embalming here. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for days. He stinketh. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe you sent me. All the miracles the apostles did, the things that Moses did, the miracles Elijah did, authenticated them as a representative of God. And the same with Jesus and the same with his apostles. And so Jesus has has raised his hand and prayed to God and, and now it's time. The crowd has swelled because they always did when Jesus was around. There's a tomb over here that's open. You got Jesus and Martha and Mary standing here. You got this huge crowd over there. And Jesus says, roll back the stone. And the crowd probably goes, the stone's rolled away and they're looking. Jesus raises his hand and prays to God. They're back at Jesus. And then Jesus turns and he says this. And the Bible says he said it in a loud voice. That means a loud voice. Loud, loud voice. A commanding voice. Lazarus, come forth. Lazarus, this way out. And guess what? Here he comes out. Now, I don't know if he was hopping out or whether they wrapped his legs individually, but he's coming out. What would you do if you would? I know what I'd do. I'd be kind of like, whoa. And then Jesus says, Unwrap him and uh, 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 um, what if, let, me, let me say this right here. Unbind him and let him go. There's a whole message on that. Jesus will do his part, you do your part. But he says, Unbind him and let him go. How would you like to be on the duty of unbinding him? He's been decomposed or been decomposing. But they unbind this guy. And then the Bible says they was high-fiving and fist-bumping. That's kind of old. There's a new thing out called shaking hands. And, hey, ain't that great, Mom? They didn't do any of that. The Bethany Publishing Company didn't come out and go, Lazarus, we want the rights to your book. The Bible don't say anything about that. It just says Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. They do that, and, and he's moving on. And I thought about that. You don't hear a whole lot about Lazarus after the resurrection except one place. And that's found over in John chapter 12. The, the religious leaders are out for Jesus. They want to kill him. So they say, we have got to get this guy. And while we're at it, we're going to kill Lazarus too. Because everywhere Jesus is and everywhere Lazarus is, the people believe and we can't tolerate this anymore. Lazarus is now a marked man. But he's a saved man. And he's a resurrected man. And so they're, they're after him. 
So, what do we take away from this? What do we take away from the story of Lazarus? Well, first of all, our first point is God determines when death will occur. Now, we may think that we can do a lot of things to extend our life, and we should take care of our body. I spent a lot of time taking care of this body. Not really. I am now, though, because I'm 66. But we should take care of our body. I'm breaking out my... What, Richard Simmons, did he? No. Take, I'm breaking out my videos and trying to take care of my body. But you know what? My death sentence was already there when I was born. God knew when my appointment with him would be. He knows when your appointment will be. You can do nothing about that. You can do nothing about it. When Jesus tells his disciples, we're going back to Bethany, the disciples don't want to go back. They tell Jesus, we can't go back. They feared for his life. Then Jesus tells them a proverb in verse 9 and 10. When they ask him, are you going there again? Jesus answered and says, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Meaning, people did their work during the light, and when it was night, they stopped. Jesus was doing the work of the Father, and the time will come when it will be done, the night, and he will stumble into death. While Jesus was on the earth doing the will of God, he would safely complete it and fulfill God's purpose. Translated to the, to the disciples, he's going... Would you guys, God already knows when you're going to die. Would you guys forget about this death and all? I mean, that's, that's where your focus is. God's got a job for you to do and go do it. And when God is through with your purpose on this earth, he will call you home. And that ain't no different for any one of us in here today. Everyone has an appointment with death and it's on God's timetable. Alfred said the following, there are about 12 hours in the day and it will sunset before you dream of it. Get done what God has sent you here to do. The best laid plans can be disrupted by God. Spurgeon said the following about death. This is very insightful. Listen to this. Death comes to the ungodly man as a penal, that's legally punishable, infliction but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace one of these days we're going to head up to a palace to the sinner it's an execution to the silent an undressing you're going to get out of this old fleshly body death to the wicked is the king of terrors death to the saint is the end of terror the commencement of glory. So, we can't control death. We don't know when that will be. Only God knows. You have an appointment with death. Secondly, we will live forever. Wait a minute. You said we're going to die. Physically, you're going to die. Yes, ultimately death will come, but our soul will live on and one day receive a resurrected body, either to life or to damnation. We will all get a resurrected body. We see this in John eleven seventeen through 27. Time won't permit me to read it all. But Jesus tells Martha, Lazarus will be resurrected. 
Martha's not thinking about Lazarus being resurrected right before her eyes. She's thinking about the, the, the resurrection at the end times. So her eschatology, which is end times, is correct. And then Jesus said, you believe this? And she said, I believe you are the Christ, the one who has come. So her theology is correct. John 5, 28 and 29 says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tomb will hear his voice. For an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. For they that have done good, that is trusted Christ. When you trust Christ, you change. Things become good. You start doing good. I'm always leaving somebody, oh yeah, I'm born again. I'm like, you sure don't live like it. There's an expectation there. So those who have done good, the resurrection to life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Our souls will live forever. On this earth, we, you and I right now are on the short end of eternity. We're on the short end. I'm 66. I sure hope I live to, to be 100. I, I kind of enjoy living, but I doubt that'll happen. But I'm on the short end of eternity. On this earth, Uh, We're on the short end of eternity. One day we will all get a resurrected body. Either one that will take us through the eternity with Jesus in heaven or a body suitable to take us through hell as a lost person. It does not have to be the latter because God demonstrated his love in that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died, he, he died for, while we were yet sinners, he died. God gave his, uh, God demonstrated his love by giving his son to reconcile, to settle or resolve our sin debt so that we will not have to spend an eternity in hell. When, when Jesus was given an evangelistic message to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Nicodemus come to him and Jesus answered a question he didn't even ask. You must be born again. And Nicodemus is puzzled by that because he's a Jew and he thinks and is taught that by being born a Jew, you're in. Father Abraham will be standing by hell to make sure nobody slips in there. You're in. You're a Jew. Jesus said you must be born again. But ultimately, Jesus gets to this verse, John three sixteen. Nicodemus For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what God did for us. And then lastly, this is the last point. In John 11, 45 and 46, there were two responses to the resurrection of Lazarus. Only two. Those who believed and those who did not all heard and witnessed the same event, but came to different conclusions. Some believed in Christ, some did not. Every message you hear preached on Christ and every testimony given about Christ is an opportunity for one of two decisions. Danny gave us a testimony about the love of Jesus for the Honduras people. It drives a decision. You've heard today about Lazarus. That drives a decision. You either believe or you don't believe. You either place your trust in Christ or you reject him. Many say, you know what? I haven't made up my mind. I'm just going to wait. Do you realize the precarious position you're in? Because your life is a a vapor. 
It appeareth for a short time and vanisheth away. The, the Bible says, boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Uh, indecision is a decision, and it means you're in a precarious position. Let me say this. Make the decision to come to Christ and settle it once and for all, if you've never done that. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. I'd like you to uh, bow your head and close your eyes. And let me just ask you this question. What will you do with Jesus? That's the question the religious, Jewish religious leaders did. What are we going to do with this guy? What are we doing? And that's a question that we're asked today. What will you do with Jesus? Perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted Christ. Let me say this. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ, every other person in this room has been where you are. That's nothing to be embarrassed about. They've been where you are. Just know that Jesus died for you. He loves you and he wants you to come to him and trust him. Will you do it? If you've never trusted Christ, will you do it? Today is the day of salvation. Father, we thank you for this story, a historical uh, recollection of raising of Lazarus. Lord, we thank you that you're the giver and taker of life. And Lord, we see the power of Jesus and of you, Lord, and your glory in the resurrection of Lazarus. But Lord, we also see that when someone who's lost hears the gospel and decides they're going to trust you. It's a glorious day for them, Lord, and it just shines your glory. And I pray you'd just help anybody here today that's never trusted you, that today would be the day they would trust you. Maybe there's people here today that need to rededicate their life. Whatever the decision is, Lord, I pray you would help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.